Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Welcome, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I'm your guest host for today, Kira Davis. Tony is out, but don't worry, you are in great hands. I was with you earlier on in the week, and I am honored to be back to close out this first week of the new year with you. We've got a lot to talk about today. A couple of CNN town halls last night. Vivek Ramaswamy showed up in his typical style, and uh, and we've got some interesting clips to play uh, from him regarding the media, because this is something I want to talk about today. I talked a little bit earlier on in the week about strategizing for November and how the GOP needs to be moving forward. And so I do want to talk about how we use the media for that and how we use the media in its current form, right? Unfriendly. So I want to talk about that today. We're also going to talk about the Epstein list. Some of the Epstein names have dropped. It's about what I thought it would be. It's not, it's not going to be as, as dramatic as everyone wants it to be. I'll explain why in a little bit and we've got some new job reports out and we're going to talk about disney what's going on with walt disney star wars is still rolling along unbelievably even though it's losing money hand over fist and of course disney has not learned its lesson and there's more controversy with the new star wars offerings that are heading our way so we're going to talk to brandon morse from red state later on in the show so we've got a great show today i'm kira davis if you want to know more about me you can look me up on twitter at real kira davis you can find my podcast just listen to yourself and and i highly recommend this not just because it's mine but i think you should go buy my book drawing lines why conservatives must begin to battle fiercely in the arena of ideas that's available wherever you find your books i wrote that book for 2024 because the question i get asked the most. And I think particularly because being black and conservative and race being such a huge hot topic these days, people want to know how do we how do we navigate topics like that? How how do we navigate all of the controversy to win in November? Because I feel I get this a lot. It feels like everything's just going downhill and it's sliding so fast. There's nothing I can do. I, what I did in 2022 was I ran for my school board. I lost, but I felt like you. I felt like it feels like everything is crumbling around me and I don't know what to do. And so this is the thing that I know to do. And it was really hard and I'm still sorting out everything that I went through. But what I did realize 
is that there's something that everyone can do because I had so many people working on my campaign and everything everyone did was really important. It was something that I didn't have time to do myself. Little things like printing out flyers or just passing them out on doorsteps or just making social media posts or showing up to pick up signs or dropping off a sign for me. Those were such little things that people did that helped me immensely. So I wanted to write a book that talked about what you can do where you are. So this book outlines some of the biggest cultural issues of our days, but it doesn't just do that. It doesn't just give you my opinion on them. It tells you what you can do where you are right now. Cause y'all can't, not everyone can run for office. Most of us can't. And as a matter of fact, given my experience, I will caution most of you don't. There's a reason why a lot of people don't run, a lot of good people don't run for office, it's very brutal. And so you need to make sure that you, you need to make sure you have the support system, the family, everything behind you. But there's other things you can do where you are that are, that are little, that feel little, that make a huge difference. I'll give you an example. This is one of my favorite ones. I was at a conference, a woman came to buy my book. She said, look, I'm a librarian in a public high school in Oregon. And we can't, we can't really filter the books that come through the library. So there's, all, I, I'm sure I don't have to describe it to you. There's all kinds of outrageous things in their school library. She said, I'm not allowed to take them out. I'm not allowed to remove them, but I am allowed to add anything that I want. So what I do is I travel to these conferences and I find conservatives who are selling their books and I buy their books and I put them in the library. And then I host an extracurricular book study group. And any students who are interested can come and we can talk about the themes and the books. And I sort of pitch it as being, you know, like talking through controversial issues. And she says she has a few students, like two or three at a time that take her up on that. I thought, wow, what a great thing to do. It's so simple, so little, but that is her piece of the battle right where she is. She's not changing the world. She's not even changing Oregon. She might not even be changing her school, but she's changing some minds where she lives and she's getting in where she fits in. I was on Jesse Kelly's show on the first TV yesterday and you can look that up. And Jesse Kelly asked me, why does it matter? What's the, what's the big deal about Harvard president Claudine Gay finally being forced to resign from her position? I mean, yeah, it's fun to see, but conservatives are gloating about it. And what difference does it make? And I say, it does make a difference. Yes, it is a little thing. But I believe that one of the reasons why conservatives and Republicans lose in places where we could be winning is because we have, we have set aside the little things in favor of the big things, in favor of the big ticket items. Democrats have done the opposite. They know that they can't win on the big ideas. That's why no Democrat is going to really run on repealing the Second Amendment. That's a big idea that's not going to work generally. And, and there's a reason for that. Because despite what you see in the media, the, the American mentality really isn't primed to to change our constitution easily and we do love the second amendment here we do despite again what the mainstream media says so you're not going to see a democrat running on repealing the second amendment that's a big idea that doesn't flow but what do they do 
They chip away with it at the state level. They chip away, chip away, and they have a multi-pronged strategy. It is not just sitting in the legislature and making up new laws. They also have the media, right? So we have this shooting, another school shooting, unfortunately, uh, yesterday in Iowa. Dylan Butler, an LGBTQ student, self-identified, mentally ill. Obviously, you're mentally ill if you go shoot up your school. Killed a sixth grader and then killed himself, injured three other people. Media immediately jumped on that story. And what was, how did they frame it? The, the framing of it was typical gun control, yada, yada, yada. They're being a little quieter today after it's been revealed that this young man was a rageful LGBTQ activist type. We're starting to see a lot of problems with this group of people. I, I probably will talk about that later on in this episode because I, I do this is a, a dangerous nexus of a, a mental health crisis, a refusal to deal with it properly, and of course, then access to to weapons. But but the media, my point about this is that the media jumped on that really, really quickly. And that's what they do because the narrative serves a larger purpose. It's a small piece. It's one story. What does it matter if the media jumps on this story about this one young man in this particular case what does it matter it's one thing just going back to jesse's point that he was making well yeah of course it matters to them because they know this is one more drip 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 chinese water torture and while it's annoying to us it's a very effective strategy and we need to be doing the same thing so yes it matters that claudine gay was forced to resign and yes it matters that conservatives can gloat over this particularly after 10 years or more of conservatives being the victims of cancel culture and and people like me and people like Tony and people have been sitting on microphones and our job is to break down this stuff on a stuff on a day to day basis. We've been saying forever. You need to use the less tactics tactics against them. If they gave us a playbook, we can't seem to change the playbook, then let's use the playbook. So while it doesn't matter to Harvard particularly that Claudine Gay is gone, there's just going to be another Marxist weirdo that they put in her place. I understand that. It matters as a drip, drip, drip of a larger situation. There needs to be a concerted effort to wrestle back the culture one incident at a time. You have to be, we have to be the squeaky wheels. I know that when I attend my school board meetings that I'm not going to change the minds of my liberal school board. They see me coming and they immediately close their ears. They don't care what I have to say. They don't care how polite I'm saying it. They don't care how much sense I'm making. I am the enemy. I know that every time I show up there, everything I say is absolutely useless. It will change nothing. But I go because it matters in the larger scheme of things. I go because somebody needs to be saying these things. I go because the narrative of the type of parents who are at the school boarding board meetings needs to be challenged. It's, it's a little thing. Going to the school board meetings does not change the direction of my school board. But participating does make me a squeaky wheel. And if there's enough of me out there, what happens is I'm not going to change their ideology, but I make it difficult for them to do the things they want to do. 
you got to become a pain in the butt, I guess is what I'm saying. Think of all of, excuse me, hit my mic there. I'm getting, I'm, I'm using my hands. I'm getting excited here, <laughs> trying not to get into my higher register, but think about all of the things. Let's just say if you're a parent, think about all of the strange choices that your school has made. It, it might be big, like transgender stuff, but it might be small, like field trip forms or something like that. Most of the time, those changes have been made because one single parent was just being a pain in the butt. And it happened enough times that they were like, you know what, let's just head this off at the pass. You gotta be that pain in the butt. I hate to say it, America. I hate to say it, but we need to become some Karens. Cause all those Karens you see on TikTok and everywhere and they're making so much fun, they're all liberals. They're all liberals. The mainstream media always puts them out there like they're they're just these conservative Republican women and see, oh, they're, they're the worst. No, these are all liberal women. There's something about that demographic that makes women like that just so uppity and hoity-toity. Something for another discussion, probably something I would discuss on my podcast. Just listen to yourself. Regardless, there's something to be said about being the annoying one. And there's not enough of us who are willing to be annoying because part of our strategy to win, it can't be persuasion alone. We just, the country's always going to be split 50-50 pretty much. It's always been that way. It can't be persuasion alone. Part of it has to be just making it inconvenient for these people to do things to us. We're going to talk more about this. Let's go to a break, but don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis sitting in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz today. Welcome back to Tony Katz. Today, I'm your guest host, Kira Davis, host of the Just Listen to Yourself podcast, available wherever you find your podcasts. And we are talking strategy for 2024, especially when it comes to the media. And oh, before we, we dive into some of these clips from Vivek, because I got some stuff to say about him. I want to talk about him for a second. Uh, I just want everyone to know that you guys should be feeling really great today. 2.7 million jobs added last year. That's what the Biden White House has come out and said. 216,000 jobs in December. This is a great economy. And CNBC analyst Jim Cramer, who we should not be taking any advice from, says it's a great economy. There's nothing you can do about it. It's a great economy. Joe Biden says the economy is growing. He says that... <laughs> He says that 216,000 jobs added in December is the is the greatest growth by any administration. <laughs> well, you can go to the White House feed, you can see for yourself what he's saying about the economy. I want to know, does it does the economy feel that good to you? Are you feeling really great about the job growth, about the low cost of living? The, again, this is near they can say whatever they want. And the media just runs for it. There's absolutely no curiosity. I remember when George Bush was president, we were at statistic full employment, 4.2% unemployment. That's statistically full employment. Basically, it means that everybody who wants a job can get a job. 
And still, every time the administration will come out with those numbers, what would the media do? They would pick it apart and they would say, well, what kind of jobs are though? Well, they're, they're part-time jobs or they're minimum wage jobs or you can't brag about this. Biden comes out and people are struggling. Inflation is killing people. And the Biden administration comes out and says the economy is better than it's ever been. And there's, there's not a whisper of curiosity in the mainstream media. What's the economy like for you? Are you feeling good about it? Do you feel it in your pocket? Are you, when you go to the grocery store, do you say, wow, I feel good about all this extra money that I have and aren't prices great and isn't life easier? If you are, I would love to hear from you. 317-239-9393, 317-239-9393. Is life better for you where you are? But this is what they want us to believe. They, this, they can say whatever they want and make it the truth because there's no one out there to dig up the truth. That's why firing, well, technically she didn't get fired, but really she did. Firing Claudine Gay matters. That's why it matters because it is another, it is an example of what happens when people get curious. People need to be curious. You know, Dr. Fauci is coming back up to the Hill in a few days to do more testifying on the Wuhan lab and his gain-of-function research, he, which he should be required to answer these questions until his testimony reveals the truth. And then he should probably be arrested. But he's coming up. We need to be more curious the mainstream media needs to be more curious. We already know they need to be more curious, but we know they're not going to be. That means that's our job. That means that's up to us. And it used to be us was just the media types, people like me, people like Tony. Now us is you too, because you have access to one of the greatest media platforms ever in human history, social media. I was just looking at, some of our social media influencers in the break, thinking about the important role they've played in, quote, the curiosity quotient when it comes to digging up unpleasant things about our opponents. Libs of TikTok. Or look, up, look at Scott Pressler, how he makes everyone look stupid by going and doing actual real community outreach and voter registration. Look at Defiant L's is a, is a TikTok, not a I think they have a TikTok, but they're a Twitter account, really. Defiant L's. All that account does is take people's statements from the past and compare it to things that they've said recently. And it's basically just an account that calls out people's hypocrisy. It doesn't add any commentary. It simply shows screenshots. That was an account that was banned under the old Twitter regime. Elon Musk brought it back. But once again, that's an example of of just a regular, a normie, right? A civilian. But somebody who is advertising curiosity, because when we get curious about people, we learn more about what they really believe. So it does matter. It does matter that we let uh, Claudine Gay go. We've got a phone call on the line. We've got Mike. He's calling in about the economy. Mike, welcome to Tony Katz today. You're talking to Kira. Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year to you too. 
Hey, Mike, has the yeah. economy going great for you? Everything going good? Yeah. Uh, 401k's up. I'm making more money than I made last year. I'm making more money than I was making three years ago. And what do you do? I'm retired. <laughs> okay. You're making more money than you were three years ago, and you're retired. And what did you do? I uh, worked at uh, DFAS here in town, military pay. Oh, so you worked for the government? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I think that's a very interesting point, Mike. And I want to thank you for calling in. So you, you feel like the, the prices, you're not missing disposable income. You feel like life is good. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break down what Mike said. Thanks for that call, Mike. I actually really appreciate it. We got to take a break. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz. all kinds of things but before the break we we're talking about the economy i challenged listeners to call in and say if everything feels better for you as the white house is telling us it is please let me know we heard from mike who said he's making more money now than he did three years ago and his 401k is up um i am afraid to look at my 401k these days but he says things are going great i asked him what he did he said he's retired and then he said that he had a government position we've got a caller on the line who wants to respond to mike jeff welcome to tony cats today happy new year hey thank you for accepting my call i can tell you yeah, what's up my wife works for iu and her 401k is down 401k is down about fifteen thousand dollars since biden took administration so that's okay it's okay because i like maybe your previous caller I do some work, too, and I'm retired, owning an excavating business for 35 years. I do a little side work on the side, and maybe I can make some cash that I don't have to turn into the IRS, correct? Mm. So the whole thing is, the gig is, the gig is up. Because the only way I can make money is not paying 48% in taxes, if you can understand where I'm coming from. Thank you for accepting my call. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff makes an excellent point. Yeah, you can make a lot more money when you're retired because you can do all that stuff under the table. Although I don't wish to cast aspersions on Mike, I have no idea what he does to make his money um, post-retirement. So very good point. And Jeff, I'm like your wife. I Eventually, I just said I probably should not look at my 401k until the next election cycle i i haven't heard from anyone mike's the first person i've heard from that said their 401k is actually up and i have no other choice to but to uh, believe him that being said i thought it was really interesting that he said he had a government job because government is is the one that is the biggest uh job security area in any industry Biden says our economy created 2.7 million new jobs in 2023. The unemployment rate was consistently below 4%. I don't know how they calculate that. Um, 
This morning's report confirms it was a great year for American workers. So that is Biden's view or the White House's version of his view. But Joe Biden has never held a civilian job. He has only ever worked in government. And all of the people who are out there telling us that the economy is great, you're doing great, just like Mike, are people who worked in government. Well, government's always going great. Government never has a lack of money, despite what the media tries to tell you. There's never a lack of tax money. And if there's not enough, you just force people to pay you more. You don't have to create jobs. You don't have to, you don't have to lean on accountability for people. It's, it's a completely insulated industry. That's why every time, I mean, this is statistically provable whenever you look at the dipping numbers in the economy, the one place it consistently, the economy is always going up is the Beltway area in Washington, D.C. Why? That's government. So the housing prices always go up. Median income always goes up. Taxes always go up. Treasury always, everything goes up. Jobs go up. When the economy is shrinking, government expands. So I guess I'm not surprised to hear Mike say, well, I am surprised to hear someone say my, my 401k is worth more than ever and I'm making more money than I was three years ago. I think Jeff had a really good explanation for that. Uh, I'm not surprised to hear that Mike works for the government. And not again, not to insult you, Mike, good for you. I kind of wish, although I don't think I would, I don't think I would thrive in a government job, but I, I kind of wish I had that same job security. I think most Americans do wish that. So, but from my point of view, and I think, and everybody that I know, no, the economy is not doing better and things are not better. Even the wealthy people I know say the same thing. And I live in California where now we're looking at 52, in some cases, almost 60% of your income just being taken by various government entities. So, well, thanks for that. Uh, Mike, thanks for that call. I appreciate it. Well, there were some t- a couple of town halls last night, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and I don't really care too much about the town halls, although I want to talk about Vivek for just a moment. Um, I know that this primary season is weird. It's It's a repeat of 2016 where Trump's just running away from everything, but it's also very different because we have all of the rest of the mess, J6 and everything. But there is still a primary race going on. And Vivek is a very controversial character. There are a lot of people who don't believe he's sincere. There are a lot of people who believe he's actually working for the Trump campaign. I actually believe that. And I don't think he has any expectations of winning the primary. And I don't know how you feel about his views. As somebody who is an industry professional, I will say this, that Vivek has a very unique and succinct understanding of the media. And it is quite Trumpian, except he's much more interesting to listen to than Trump. And you can call that fake. You can call that grifting. I don't know. I I don't know the man's intentions, but I know that when I hear him talk, and I'm not endorsing him. I haven't endorsed anyone and I don't intend to in the primaries. But when I hear him talk, I understand why people find him interesting. My family is not interested in politics at, at all. This is a job that I do that they have absolutely no interest in. My my husband and my children lean fairly conservatively, which shouldn't be a surprise. Otherwise, they're pretty apolitical. 
Well, one night I was watching the last, I was watching the last Republican debate and Vivek was up there and my daughter who's 16 and my husband who's not 16 came in and sat down with me and watched five minutes of the debate. They, I think the only person they knew on that stage was, was Ron DeSantis. Both of them said, who's that guy pointing to Vivek? Who's that guy? I like him. He's interesting. What I find interesting about that exchange is that these are people who aren't involved in politics at all. They don't know anything. I look at Vivek and I might analyze, well, I don't know. I think he's working for Trump or I think he's doing this, that or the other. They're just looking at him and saying, he's saying things that we think matter. And he's saying them in a way that I want to hear them. And that's something that a lot of politicians don't do because they're so robotic. Again, another sort of attractive quality about Trump. He may be a, a strange character, but he's not robotic. And gosh, isn't that isn't that refreshing? But one of the things Vivek knows is that the mainstream media, A, is not on his side. B, he's never going to get them on his side. And C, they need to be challenged to be curious because they are absolutely incurious and incuriosity is very dangerous. So he did a post town hall interview with um, MSM, with, excuse me, with NBC. And the reporter's name was Dasha, Darsha. Can't remember her last name. I'll look it up in a second here. But she, it was the most, one of the most unprofessional interviews I had ever scene it was not an interview she was just challenging him so i want to play some of these clips and i want to break down what vivek is doing here and why it matters even if he's not going to win the primary even if he's never going to be president why it matters what he did so the first clip i want to play is she's asking him if if the way he talks his quote rhetoric is going to scare off minority voters go ahead and play that voters and, and, do and not worry thing. that your no, rhetoric is pushing them away there are folks to the in, contrary in i think we're going to bring GOP black people right now into who this are movement. concerned about your rhetoric well you know what i'm concerned about their corruption if you have somebody who actually one of the most one of a prominent black influencer the other day she's what did she say i've been black my whole life and this man could actually unify this country in response to a long exchange i had with a black pastor who had an event here in iowa did challenge me with a hard question asking me are my views against affirmative action how do those align with historical affirmative racial injustice? Affirmative action is a debate that is being had. If, you I, may, can, you if I may just finish this, if I may finish my point, deal with racism, I think I will be better you're positioned. denying that racism is a I've problem. I've never denied that racism is a problem. And if you listen to the response I gave to that black pastor, my whole point is racism has been a major problem for most of our national history. Dasha Burns is that reporter's name. Dasha Burns from NBC. She's a reporter. So did you hear the way that she was talking to him? She, A, she didn't. She wasn't asking questions. She asked a question, but it wasn't really a question, right? Because she immediately spoke right over him. But listen to her tone. She's getting all up there in a higher register. That's what we ladies do when we get upset. That's why I always have to be careful on radio. <laughs> higher register does not translate very well in the airwaves. I think, and this is a challenge for women in broadcasting, period. So you don't get up there in that higher register. <laughs> she's all up there. Why? Because she's heated. Because she's upset. Can you imagine Diane Sawyer getting up there, right? Or Barbara Walters, even Oprah Winfrey? The professionals don't do that. But see, she, this is a problem. I talked about this earlier on, on the show this week. That we have been raising an entire generation of workers who believe that their job is to change the world instead of just changing your light bulbs. 
So here's a reporter who thinks her job is to change the world. So she thinks her job is to challenge this guy instead of get information out of him so that viewers can make their own decisions. As a reporter, that's supposed to be her job is curiosity. And in fact, she seems to be viewing her job as taking this man down a peg. And Vivek handles it very, very well. He knows he's not going to, he knows it's not a real question. And so he's rushing to get the answer in. But what did he do? When she spoke over him, he didn't let her get away with that. He didn't stop and say, well, let me see what point she's making now, right? The the left has worked, the progressive media has worked very hard to make it so if you challenge a woman or you challenge a minority, that, that that's going to be seen as some act of aggression. Think of Kamala Harris talking to Mike Pence in their debate. And I'm talking, excuse me, I'm speaking. That same thing. Ironically, she, here she is, a, a blonde white woman, a privileged white woman, a privileged white progressive, lecturing this minority man about his views on, on minority outreach. It's absolutely astounding that Vivek handled that very well. He didn't allow her to get away with interrupting. And um, when someone's making an idiot of themselves, you should point it out. Our our polite natures, and I have an issue with this. I have a problem with it. I don't know if it's a problem, but this is just my personality and a lot of my faith, but we, we, we should be polite. We're raised to be polite. And when people are making fools of themselves, you hate to point it out. Someone trips in front of you. You don't want to make a big deal of it because you know what it feels like. But I'm afraid when it comes to politics, we can't be polite. So when people are being dumb, you have to point it out. And he did. He said, excuse me, you didn't let me finish my point. You're talking over me. This isn't your interview. You're not interviewing you. You're interviewing me. Let's go to our next clip uh, where Vivek talks about the manifesto of the transgender uh, shooter in Nashville. This is the young woman who I've identified as non-binary slash transgender, shot up her Christian school there because she was apparently uh, upset at Christians over their resistance to the trans agenda. Here is Vivek addressing that. What I see is a selective reporting. Take the Nashville Transgender Shooter Manifesto. Every shooter manifesto in a mass shooting has been released within 48 hours, except for that one shooter in Nashville. Now, it ended up being leaked. What do you see? It wasn't a, it wasn't a white supremacist. It was somebody that was actually making fun of using derogatory terms. I okay, believe so why are Cracker you okay talking about that manifesto rest, and not keep talking not about the manifesto okay. from I'm okay talking the about 2015 both. I'm more than okay shooting. talking about both. But what I'm asking is, why is the mainstream media suppressed that one? Why did the police suppress that one? Why was that the one shooter manifesto that of all of the mass shootings, every other shooter manifesto has been released? I'm focused on that one because that's the one that's been hidden from us. And it comes back to the point of my candidacy and the way I'm going to run this country. Trust the people with the truth. If it doesn't match your narrative, the reality is right now, I think the media did not hold the police accountable. They would have been demanding that. Starting to gain ground, gain traction with the black community, with Latino. Does she does that sound like a journalist again? Say what you want about Diane Sawyer. I'm picking her name out of the hat because she's a very well-known old school female reporter. You're not going to hear Diane Sawyer give that kind of interview. Well, she just absolutely his answer. She didn't like his answers. And so instead of letting him finish his answers, she just decided to combat his answers. 
That's not an interview. And again, I, I really like how Vivek talks. And I'm sure he's going to have a very lucrative career as a consultant when he's done with this presidential candidacy. Because he gets it. I will say that about it. He gets it. He and and Trump was like that too. So I think they I think they are sort of two sides of the same coin. I really do. So forget about, I'm not talking about him as a candidate. What I'm talking about him is, is a useful tool. I, I'm not calling you a tool to make, just using the term. But he's using the right tools to combat the media narrative. You can talk about policy all day long. You can go to Vivek's website and you can see what he thinks about policies on inflation and the border and all of that. You can talk about the nitty gritty, but guess what? That's not what people are voting on these days. People are voting on how they feel about things. And so this is Vivek challenging feelings. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate her, him challenging her feelings and, and continuing to challenge her. All right, we've got to go to a break now. I'm Kira Davis and I'm filling in for Tony Katz. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I am your guest host today, Friday, January 5th, Kira Davis, K-I-R-A. Go look me up on Twitter at Real Kira Davis and definitely go subscribe to my podcast. Just listen to yourself or we talk, well, I talk more in depth about a lot of the things we've been discussing today. Been playing some Vivek Ramaswamy clips, clips, clips uh, from his completely disastrous, not on his part, interview with NBC reporter Dasha Burns. And he was just giving a masterclass in how to handle the media. And I was talking about why it is important to call out the media and to to make them be accountable for their own, own personal opinions. I think asking them questions is something that Trump does very well. Uh, he asks them questions. So he turns the interview on them. And I no longer think that it's a proper response from interviewers to say, well, I'm conducting the interview. I, I'm the one asking the questions, not you. These people aren't even asking questions these days, as you heard in those, in those two clips. So it has to be a situation where we're making people face the music. I never, I have always felt that Capitol Hill hearings are just circuses, but they do play a part in making certain elements in the media curious. And that's what we need. Right, we're going to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Epstein's list. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Welcome back, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I'm your guest host today, Kira Davis. You can find me on Twitter at Real Kira Davis. Sign up for my Substack, justkiradavis.substack.com. Got a lot to talk about today, but I just realized as I'm sitting here, tomorrow's January 6th. It is the anniversary of the January 6th. <laughs> 
peaceful protests. I don't know what we're calling them. I can't believe that I that this does not take up more space in my brain. But there is a reason for that. And it's not because I don't care about what's happening to people. My friend Siaka Masakwai, you may have seen him. He was arrested in Los Angeles just last month on his way back from he's an actor. Um, you've seen him on the Babylon Bee with me. You've, you probably recognize me from some Babylon Bee sketches. If you've seen those, I work with the Bee all the time. One of my, my, my most popular sketches is the Spelling Bee sketch. But you've seen Siaka there, too. He was coming back from the red carpet premiere of the Daily Wire's new movie, Lady Ballers, which he is in, and at the airport was arrested uh, while standing next to his pregnant wife by authorities, his crime. He held the door open at the Capitol for Capitol Police. So I I take it very seriously, but the reason why it's sort of not occupying everything in my mind is because I have had a position about January 6th that I don't, I don't believe we should let the mainstream media make a bigger deal out of it than it is and i know it's all it is a big deal because people are sitting in prison and i know that but here has always been my point of view on it is that the mainstream media ignores stories that they don't like and that they don't want to make a big deal out of so i don't know why the conservative press can't do the same thing we should be talking about the injustice of the people sitting in jail right now rotting in jail right now and the injustice that's happening to friends like to people like my friend Siaka. We should certainly be talking about that. But the idea of making this some big like watershed moment in American history where we came close to toppling as a democracy, absolutely not. I refuse to be a part of that narrative, which means anytime the mainstream media wants me to commemorate something about January 6th, forget about it. I have no interest in it. Other than the people who are being treated unjustly, it, it, it is it is a non-event, and that's how I will treat it. That's how the media treats everything else, non-events. Well, a big event that is not a non-event is the Epstein names are starting to drop. There was an original dump yesterday, or, or a, a, a precursory dump, I should say. Some names on the list. I want to talk to you about this list for a second, what it means and why it has larger significance in the whole thing that we've been talking about today, about media, messaging, and winning elections. But it, the the first dump is, it's got 170 names on it, and you most of them are sort of business people and politicians, so you wouldn't rec- recognize them. But here are some of the names on that list. You would recognize Prince Andrew. Of course, excuse me, he is really at the heart of this issue because it was his involvement that really exploded the whole Epstein story in the first place. And the young woman that he is accused of assaulting who, quote, worked for Epstein, and I say worked with quotes because she was a minor, Virginia Jeffrey, I think is her name. She's testified against him. So he's prominent. Now, he came out and did an interview with the BBC News a couple years ago telling his side of the story. It was an absolute disaster. It was totally indicative of what a narcissist he is. He thought he could get on there and say whatever. I want to recognize, I want to recommend a YouTube channel to you to go and watch that Prince Andrew interview. It is called Body Language Ghost. And it is a, I'm not sure what her 
official medical title is, but she's a body language expert. And she breaks down the body language of people doing interviews on TV. And it's absolutely fascinating. She's really good at what she does. Body language ghost. I highly recommend it. And she's got tons, dozens and dozens of videos. My One of my favorites, she actually breaks down the testimony of Christine Blasey Ford, who was the woman that accused Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh of sexual assault in high school, or she's apparently viewed him assaulting someone. She There's a great breakdown of that. But she does a great breakdown of Prince Andrew's testimony, and it'll make you look at everything differently really highly recommend it by language goes so he's on the list of course bill clinton's on the list <laughs> no one's surprised his was one of the first names to come out and of course we all know that bill clinton likes the ladies but it turns out he might like girls too part of the testimony part of what was unsealed is a 2016 testimony from people involved with epstein And part of the testimony from one of the young ladies who witnessed Bill Clinton in and around Epstein, she said that Clinton, quote, likes them young. I don't think that's hard to imagine. And he is on Epstein's private jet list dozens of times. It's not hard to imagine Clinton and Epstein being friends. Alan Dershowitz is on the list. Stephen Hawking is on the list. That's right. Stephen Hawking, Al Gore. Leslie Weck, uh, Leslie Wexner, she is, let's see, she's a billionaire, founder of L Brands, Bill Richardson, former governor of New Mexico, Jean-Luc Brunel, who's a modeling scout, Marvin Minsky, computer scientist, Michael Jackson's on that list, Dop- David Copperfield, the, uh, the magician, Tom Pritzker who's a hotel, the the heir of the Hyatt Hotel chain. And he's also, I think, the brother of Bob Pritzker, who is the governor of Illinois. And we've got an Illinois story coming up. And a couple other people that I didn't know, Ehud Barak, the former Israeli prime minister, Kevin Spacey, George Lucas, Naomi Campbell, supermodel Naomi Campbell's on this list. I find this interesting You may not know this about me, but I'm a huge celebrity gossip hound. It's probably the uh, side effect of living in Southern California. But I love celebrity gossip. I go to all the gossip pages. I know it's trashy. I don't need your judgment. But the gossip items have always, for as long as I've been reading them, had gossip about Naomi Campbell being involved in uh, trafficking. For, for young girls. And that's not necessarily that unusual of an accusation because the modeling industry also doubles as trafficking in a lot of cases. So I've always heard her name. Just they're, oh, They've always been rumors, just rumors and gossip. So it's interesting that she's on this list. Other people, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Blanchett, Cameron Diaz, Bruce Willis, and a couple of other business people. All right. Notably, who's not on the list is Donald Trump, although his name does appear in these documents. But the name appears because the people making the testimony are saying, I never interacted with Donald Trump. I never saw him on the island. I think he may there might be a record of Epstein's plane landing uh, on a private trip that Trump owns. Not sure. Here's what I want to say about this list. This is. We're just getting worked over. We're getting worked over. At the end of the day, the powers that be are going to win. They're going to win on this because 
almost everybody in power is involved in this in some way. And those who aren't are still culpable. I'll tell you why. Alan Dershowitz explained it perfectly as he explained the reason why his name is on the list. Jeffrey Epstein was a powerful, powerful man. His business was power. That's what he traded in. I don't know that he was necessarily a a sexual pervert. He may have been, but I don't know that that's why he ran his human trafficking business. I think it was about power because here's what he would do. Like this is basically what Dershowitz said. It doesn't matter that your name's on that list. That doesn't mean that you had any interaction at all with any illegal activities, but rich people love free things as part of how they're rich and wealthy people love free things because a lot of wealthy people are, are, don't have access to cash and, and easy capital. They love private jets. They love yachts. So a lot of times these people trade rides around on their private vehicles. So here's this rich guy. Let's say you're, I don't know, John Smith. You're very famous or rich American man. You got to get to Paris in a day. Your friend knows Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, Jeffrey's got a, a plane, a private plane. He can charter it. Goes from New York City to Paris. I can get you on that plane. You get on that plane, now you're on the log. You All you do is take the free ride from this guy, but this guy knows, and he, he knows your name's on the log. Now, later on, when he needs a favor from you, he calls you up and he says, look, your name's on the log that you've been traveling to me, and guess where else my plane goes? And guess who else travels on that plane? If you don't want your name to be released in conjunction with these other people, you'll give me this favor. You'll do this. So it might surprise you to hear names, it might not be surprising to hear names like Bill Clinton, but it might surprise you to hear names like Cameron Diaz or Naomi Campbell or Stephen Hawking, but uh, or even Alan Dershowitz. But a lot of these people are just in Epstein's circle because Epstein was a power player and his job was to collect names and information. And he did it really well. So while we've been spending the last five years or however long kvetching about this list when's the list going to come out so many people are going to be indicated by this list what did the powers that be end up doing okay they're going to give us the list they're going to give us what we want but now the list is going to be so huge it's going to be useless it's it's six one half a dozen of the other they did it to me they did it again to me this is just another another way to keep the power players in positions of power and keep the masses sort of satiated. All right, you want the list, here it is, leave us alone. But instead of getting a specific list, you can just get a list with ev- literally everyone on it. David Copperfield, I don't know anything about him. I don't know if he engages in illegal activities with minors, but he's a magician. And guess what else Epstein would do? He would throw conferences. Now you're on the list at an Epstein conference. Now you're on the list just taking money from him because he'll pay your travel. He'll pay for your expenses. You get a nice goodie bag when you get there. You see how this is all shaking out? Everyone's going to be on this list, which means that the list is absolutely pointless. So score one more for the dark side. All right, we've got to go to a break. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to talk about Dalton, Illinois, and the mayor that was elected there. How did she blow a $300,000 salary and other things? You don't want to miss this story. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz today.
Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. I'm your host, Kira Davis, author of Drawing Lines, Why Conservatives Need to Begin to Battle Fiercely in the Arena of Ideas. You can find that on Amazon or anywhere you buy your books. Here's a fun story. This is why all your votes matter. I think earlier on in the week I was talking about not letting your vote be suppressed because you're depressed, because you feel it doesn't make a difference. Because federally, there's other things going on, and I get that, but locally, so few people vote that if you don't vote in your local elections, you're giving license to all kinds of kooks. Here's a crazy story out of Dalton, Illinois. Now, how did I know? Uh, Let me tell you, let me set this up. This woman, Tiffany Henyard, She is the mayor. She's about 40 now. I think she was elected at 37 years old. She's the mayor of Dalton, Illinois, has 21,000 residents. I didn't even know where Dalton was. I I know of a Dalton, but I wasn't sure. But when I read the story, as I was reading it, I promise you, I said, this is Indiana. Oh, I, it's not, it's, but it's almost Indiana. Cause I, I'm from Gary. My family's from Gary. We moved here to Southern California from Gary, Indiana. Very familiar with Indiana politics, very familiar with Chicagoland politics. And even though Gary's in Indiana, it's pretty much a Chicago-type area. And I just knew from the way they were talking about the story, I'm like, this this is an Indiana town. I know this, this this has the stench of Lake County all over it. Now, it wasn't, it was in Dalton, but Dalton is south of Chicago, right? So it's right there on the border of Indiana. And it was the Dalton I was thinking about. It was. But this mayor, she gets elected. And now she's under a recall because she has done some incredible things. Tiffany Henyard, I'm reading a report from Microsoft, uh, from MSM. Tiffany Henyard, a progressive dem- Democrat. So all, I can't even believe that that's how they identified her. But there's a bigger thing going on here in the Democrat Party. There's a battle between the progressives and the blue dog Democrats. Blue dogs are losing. So this is interesting to me. But she's elected mayor of Dalton in 2021. She's also the supervisor of Thornton Township. For those positions, she brings home more than the state's governor, nearly $300,000. She calls herself super mayor and frequently posts messages that suggest God chose me. And one of the greatest examples derided by critics, Hayard put an ordinance in place that if she lost her election to be mayor in the upcoming elections, the future mayor, I want you to listen to this. This is what she did. She made an ordinance. Okay, listen carefully. If she lost her election to be mayor in the upcoming elections, the future mayor's salary would be reduced from over $200,000 to $25,000. But if Henyard were to win, the salary would stay the same. (laughs) I'm not making it up. Also, I want you to remember what I just said. Dalton is a town of 21,000 people. Why in the heck is the mayor making $200,000 a year? That's a lot of money, even for Southern California standards. In South Illinois, I know y'all in Chicago feel like life is really expensive there, and it is, but you have no idea until you've been to the coast. $200,000 is a lot of money anywhere in the country. I mean, here in Southern California, it's enough to keep you on the lower end of middle class. That's the reality here, but it's still, that's a middle class salary. 
That's a rich person's salary in Dalton. $200,000 a year. Holy crap. And then she, so she makes an order. I mean, it's so bold, but this is, this is what I'm saying, folks. This is a woman who knows no one is watching her or her thought no one was watching her for good reason. So she has this ordinance. Oh, if you win, you're only going to get $25,000 a year. But if I win, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm still going to get $200,000 a year. Henyard has met criticism from her, from her trustees on how she spends the town's money who have demanded receipts for the charges on the town's card, and they've accused her of running up the tab for expenses without approval. Not only are the residents in the dark, but the trustees are in the dark, said trustee Tammy Brown. In response to criticism such as this, Henyard posted a picture of her, her trustees calling them haters. Yes, this is a grown woman. This is a 40-year-old woman who is in charge of an entire town in America. One of the biggest criticisms came from expenses charged to the town regarding a trip to Las Vegas that was supposedly for a conference. The airfare for the trip alone cost thousands of dollars, including over $3,000 for one round trip ticket. That's a first class ticket, $3,000. So the mayor of Dalton, Illinois, I, I looked up, I looked up Dalton, I, I looked up to see what the statistics are. It's right by the interstate. 21,000 people, median income, ah, shoot, I lost it here. Median income, I think, was $38,000. That's it. She just bought a median, oh, I'm sorry, I messed up. It's worse than that. Median income, $21,000. Medium Median home value, $131,000. She's making $200,000 a year, and she traveled first class to Las Vegas. How many of her constituents can fly first class to Vegas? That's not all she did, though. When, well, when the WGN out of Chicago interviewed her, they asked her straight up, what is this? Why, did you fly, fly first class to Las Vegas? Her answer, any other questions, Henyard said. So you're not going to answer how taxpayer dollars are being spent? That seems odd, the reporter responded. I just answered your question, Henyard said. You said you wouldn't answer a question about Las Vegas, the reporter said. You asked me a question, and I responded. Again, this is a mayor. Bradley, the reporter, had some follow-up questions about the nearly $400 spent at Hot and Juicy Crawfish in Las Vegas and other dinners near the Las Vegas Strip, which she had nothing to report on. This is what happens when you don't pay attention to your local elections. There's so much more. I'll read you a little bit more when we come back. And we're going to talk about Disney and Star Wars. Don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz. And this is Tony Katz today. Tony Katz today. I'm your guest host, Kira Davis, host of Just Listen to Yourself with Kira Davis. That's a podcast available wherever you find your podcast. It's a critical thinking podcast. On that show, I 
talk about hot topics and I break down the talking points on those issues and I draw those talking points all the way out to their logical conclusions because I believe sometimes when we actually dig in to the things that we're saying, we're not saying what we think we were. So just to pick up where we left off before the break, Tiffany Henyard is the mayor of Dalton, Illinois. She's about 40 years old and she is under a recall. recall. She is a mayor of a town of 21,000 people making $300,000 a year. And she's done some crazy things, getting back to some of the things that she's been on the hook for, just besides that ridiculous ordinance that she just executive ordered into place, which would reduce the salary of the mayor from $200,000 a year to $25,000 a year if she lost. But if she won, it would stay the same. Even worse, or in addition to, uh, she, she has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayer dollars on security. Again, I wanna point out that the median income is is $20,000, about $21,000 in Dalton. She spent hundreds of thousands of dollars by on security. Henyard can be seen arriving at town events for seniors or for a Christmas celebration like a, like a celebrity as police officers and security take her hand and escort her in and out of the backseat of a black SUV. 21,000 people this town is. By the way, this is how I knew that it was, uh, well, how I thought it was Lake County politics, that, that this was Indiana politics. This is how the mayor of Gary, all the mayors of Gary were, the, 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 but particularly the, the last few mayors. It's how they all, Gary, there's hardly anyone in Gary and everyone's poor as dirt. And this mayor is running around in, in with not just in one black SUV, but a whole detail of people. A detail, as if he were the president, four, five, six Black SUVs, dozens of security wherever he would go. In Gary, where almost no one lives anymore. <clears throat> Excuse me. Just, just insane. So I knew it just, it all sounded so familiar to me. Uh, one reporter asked Henyard a few months ago about her use of tax dollars, and that reporter was quickly hustled out of the room by armed security. Her use of security mystified some of her trustees who couldn't fathom why it was necessary. Why? Why do you need a security detail, trustee Tammy Brown said? One of the reasons the recall effort was initiated was because Henyard hired a convicted sex offender as a code enforcement officer. Excuse me a job in which he goes into Dalton homes and businesses to inspect them and make sure they are up to code. Oh my God, don't they suppose, aren't they supposed to do background checks before they allow these people to be in these kinds of positions? A resident asked. In a response to the failed recall effort, Henyard showed up to the next board meeting blasting a disco song and began dancing on the podium. How y'all doing, she said, blaring into the microphone during the October meeting. Ain't no stopping us now, she sang. We on the move. We're on the move. It's an example of how many antics raised eyebrows. And here's the other thing. And I think this is what raised the eyebrows of local residents the most. Billboards. 
In addition, Fox 32 found that taxpayers were responsible for billboard images of Henyard with language included that broadcast city services. So one billboard says fresh produce and another says senior services. So these are billboards for city services. And another simply says we offer general assistance. And then there's a phone number. But you wouldn't know what it's for unless you read the tiny letters. They were $10,000 a piece. I went and looked up these billboards and they are indeed ridiculous. They are not billboards. They are campaign signs. This woman is front and she looks like she's trying to sell you car insurance. She is front and, and center and there is a number and her name, it takes up the whole billboard. Tiffany Henyard. That you would think this is a campaign ad. You would not, and that, and then that number is for her campaign offices. Underneath, there in tiny print, is call for services, senior services. <laughs> so this woman in a town of twenty-one thousand people, where the median income is twenty-one thousand dollars, has managed to insert herself into the highest position of the town, and then just acted like it was her own personal piggy bank. And this happens in towns across the country, including the one you're living in. Go to your next city council meeting. I challenge you. Just go. Just take one night out of your life. Have you ever been to one? Take one night out of your life and go sit in one. And read the agenda. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. Read the agenda. Look at what they're doing. These people know you're not paying attention. I can guarantee you that Tiffany Henyard won that position because she's black. I'm saying this because this is this is where I'm from. I'm from this area. I'm a black voter. And I know how these campaigns go. We did the same thing in Gary. We would just elect people based on how they looked. And even though the city was and still is in horrible condition and residents are asked to tolerate absolutely tragic services there's almost no police presence there there's a very limited medical presence there that's where i became a gun owner y'all in gary indiana i went from being someone who was completely against guns and completely hated the second amendment to a gun owner and defender of the second amendment in gary indiana because of gary indiana and yet we would still elect the same people over and over again because no one ever asked them what they planned to do about the sales tax in the city or unemployment or this new facility that the government might want to build. No one asked those questions. People just wanted to know, what do you think about black people? What do you think about white people? And every person and every mayor would run on, well, we're going to make sure white people stay out of Gary. A, how's that working for us? B, that's not how you elect people. Because if that's how you elect people, you get people like Tiffany Henyard. That's how you'll get them in your town. I don't know what to do for Dalton. These people elected her. They're going to have to get rid of her. I doubt that the next person is going to be any better. But this goes back to everything that I have been saying on this show all week, which is that there has to be a strategic effort from Republicans, not just at the, at the national level, but even when it comes to education. I'm going to imagine, I haven't looked up these statistics, but I'm going to imagine that like most areas in the United States, people who were born and raised in Dalton stay in Dalton. You're probably there because you're from the area. You're probably in that town because you grew up there or grew up close to there. I'm going to imagine that that's the case. 
I'm also going to imagine that most of those people were educated in those schools. So imagine Dalton, Illinois, and the position of mayor there, and and who fills that position? If you have a population of students that have been educated as patriots, have been educated in the function and form of the United States government at every level, and have been educated to believe that our political system is the most superior political system in the world. If we don't wrestle back public education, we have to wrestle back education, period. But public education, most people in the United States are educated publicly. We have to wrestle that back. We have to fight for that because we have to educate our voters. The Tiffany Henyards of the world, that, that's a funny story, but it's not funny to the people there. And guess what? We're going to see her. She's a progressive Democrat and a young mayor of a town and a black woman, we're gonna see her on the Democrat circuit, political circuit. She's gonna, unless she gets taken out here, which sounds like she might, but you know how that works. All those people just fail up. And then they become people who make real decisions about real things that affect you where you live outside of Illinois. And we can't go in and change the minds of every voter in that town overnight. We've got to have a long-term strategy, and education has to be the basis of it. It has to be. We have to be educating our population the way we want them to be educated. And I know that sounds creepy to some people, but that, that's what it is. That's how strong countries survive. They train their citizens. It, that sounds creepy, but we have the Constitution to protect us from it becoming really creepy. I'm not talking about it in terms of communism or Marxism. I'm talking about in, it in terms of that's what they've done, and they've been very successful at it, extremely success, successful. They're about to take over every apparatus in this country. So we need to do the same thing. We need to be actively engaged in training voters, and that starts from day one, from appreciating what American government is and teaching our children to hold their government officials accountable. Instead of where we are right now, where we've sort of uh, drifted into the system where we look at the government as daddy or husband. This is why single white educated voters often break for Democrats. Technically, they're voting for husbands, technically, because traditionally you would have a partner that would provide all of the support that you're asking the government to, to support. These are working women. <clears throat> a lot of them are single moms. I need childcare or I need grocery assistance or things that you would have automatically, probably if you were married. That's why we have this childcare conversation, which gets on my very last nerve. I don't, I don't think the government has any place in childcare. I don't think that, I don't think it's something Republicans should be running on and it's becoming a Republican issue. There are a lot of Republican organizations who are fighting for a national childcare allowance, saying that that would make it easier for women. They want Republicans to get credit for it, so it'll make it easier for women. I don't see it that way. And I don't, I've never understood, this is a sidebar, but I've never understood the angst. 
over the cost of childcare. I do understand that it costs a lot of money to have someone care for your child, but it's supposed to, because your child is literally the most valuable thing in your life. Valuable person, the, the most valuable anything. Why shouldn't it cost a lot of money to take care of your kid? Your child is priceless. That's why really what you should be doing is, is working as best you can to make sure that there could be a parent at home with the child as much as possible. I live in Southern California, so I know that that's not always a reality for people these days. That's why when I support policies, they're usually policies that are aimed at making people's lives cheaper because I believe that's the best thing to do. Moms, dads, this is really a sidebar. I don't know how Tony would feel about me drifting into stay-at-home momhood on the show, but I'm going to say this anyway since I'm with you. You only get a limited amount of time with your kids. They are they are in your home for a limited amount of time, but they are in your constant care for a very limited amount of time if you do things the typical American way. So that first five years, you're never gonna get them back. You're never gonna get them back. If you can stay home with your kids, stay home with your kid. It will, it will change everything for you. It will make going back to work easier. I did it. And I had to make sacrifices. And I think that's what a lot of people aren't willing to do these days. You want a certain level of comfort. I'm not suggesting you do what I did, but what I did was I lived in the hood. Me and my husband lived in the hood. And so we had the, we had the income and the cost of living to be able to afford for me to stay home with our children. Maybe you got to move to a smaller home. Maybe you need to work on only having one car for the next five years and making that work for you. But I think all of this ties into what I'm saying is that we have to start at the start if we think we're going to finish in front. And the start is with our kids and with education. Marxists have targeted our kids. The progressive Democrats target our kids. That's why every conversation we're having these days seems to revolve around children. There's a reason for that. We should be taking it equally as seriously. I'm Kira Davis. I'm sitting in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz Today. back to Tony Katz today. I'm your host, Kira Davis. Happy New Year. It is Friday, January 5th, sitting in for Tony while he's out. Don't worry, he'll be back. But in the meantime, you are in very good hands, broadcasting to you live from not so sunny Southern California. It's very cold here today, everybody. It's 60 degrees. And uh, I don't know, should I say this? I will never be invited back to this microphone again. But I have my heat on. I do. I'm so sorry. I know I'm a Midwesterner and I'm ashamed, but this place does, it does something to you. This entire state like takes over you. It's even changed how I look at finances or what I think is pricey. When I was a resident of Gary, Indiana, my house there cost $65,000 and it was a humongous house. It was in the hood, but it was a humongous old brick beautiful home from the 1920s and a, a former crack house that we renovated <laughs> very proud of it and uh, now you know $65,000 here in southern california wouldn't it would not even rent me a closet people pay to live in just a bedroom of someone's home people pay $1500 a month 
So California makes you weird, no matter how hard you try to stay normal. Something else, though, something interesting that might be considered a little weird here in California is that California has ruled that Donald Trump can stay on the presidential ballot. Talking about moving into 2024 here. Well, we are in 2024. (laughs) I got to change my mind on that. Talking about moving into November. This is going to be the battle from here until November. Trump's going to battle with those court appearances and states trying to take his name off. Isn't this interesting? I'm reading from Politico. California Secretary of State Shirley Weber on Thursday included former President Donald Trump's name on the list of candidates certified to run in the state's presidential primary, bucking several other blue states that are seeking to bar him from running. Weber's release of the list of candidates Thursday evening means that Trump will appear on the ballot of California's presidential primary. Several elected Democrats had tried to remove him from the California ballot, including Lieutenant Governor Eleni Kunalakis. I don't even know who our Lieutenant Governor is, nor do I care, because it is seriously the most useless position in the state. She sent Weber a letter last week urging her to explore every legal option to keep him off the ballot. Didn't work. All right, don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're talking about Disney, Star Wars, and entertainment with Brandon Morris of Red State. I'm Kira Davis. I'm filling in for Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The greatest piece of movie music ever composed Darth Vader's Death March. I'm Kira Davis. Welcome back to Tony Katz. Today we're in our final hour and we're talking Star Wars, Disney entertainment. Disney is still rolling along in the Star Wars universe. They have hired a new director to direct their next Star Wars film, which will be female centric. Oh, I know you're shocked to hear that. And we had some interesting comments from the latest director. And I want to talk about what's happening with Disney, what's happening with Star Wars. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I tried to get my husband to let me walk down the aisle to the Darth Vader death march 25 years ago. He resisted, but maybe we'll do a recommitment ceremony or something. And I'll, this time I won't even ask. That time, you know, at that time, a a young wife, a a soon-to-be wife, you're just so in love. And you're thinking, oh, I would just want to do whatever my husband wants to do. But 25 years in now, I'm like, no, I want to do what I want to do. Anyway, I've invited my good friend and a senior editor at Red State, Brandon Morris, to the show to talk Star Wars. Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Well, Brandon, you and I are, we talk all the time about 
Disney in particular, but the culture wars yeah. in general. And you and I are, are big uh, Star Wars fans and we're Disney fans, we're entertainment fans. We have talked on and off over the years about the this slide that Disney has been taking into financial oblivion through all of their woke choices. We know what happened with DeSantis and all of the Reedy District in Florida. We know that Disney has been actively working in the culture wars and they've been pretty open and honest about it and they've been paying the price at the box office ever since. I want to play this clip for you. And then mm-hmm. and then I, I so I want to set this up and then I'm, and then I'll ask you about it. But it is the uh, latest Star Wars director. She was on a panel of uh, all female panel hosted by a uh, John Stewart, comedian John Stewart. And he was asking her about her view of Star Wars and how she feels about taking it into this next iteration. So, Carl, let's go ahead and play that clip. What is the balance of activating a force for change, but also trying to permeate that patriarchy, that power structure? And is that a part of the calculation of your art as well, and, and what's been the reaction to that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I like to make men uncomfortable. I enjoy <laughs> making men uncomfortable. <laughs> not you, just, just not you. Not know, you. Not not you. Point not taken, you. point taken. <laughs> but, um, you know, it is important to be able to look into the eyes of a man and say, I am here and recognize that and recognize that I am working to bring something that makes you uncomfortable and it should make you uncomfortable because you need to change your attitude. And it's only when you're uncomfortable, when you're shifty, when you have to have difficult conversations that you will perhaps look at yourself in the mirror and not like the reflection and then say, maybe there is something wrong with the way I think or maybe there is something wrong with the way I am addressing this issue. All right. Two things, Brandon. I've been talking this whole show about the idea of how we need to take education more seriously because we need to educate our voters. And we've educated an entire generation of people now who think that their job is to change the world instead of just change your light bulb. So that's one thing that's going on here. But the other thing, Brandon, is the point of Star Wars to make you uncomfortable as a viewer? (laughs) <laughs> no, the the whole point of Star Wars was a space epic about space cowboys and wizards. Uh, it was a piece of escapism that, you know, was supposed to be appealing to a lot of different people, but, you know, not necessarily everyone. It wasn't for always for everyone, and that's okay. There, there needs to be a realization, a re-realization in our, in our society that sometimes it's okay to not appeal to everyone because when you try to appeal to everyone – you, you lose that specific flavor that you delivered the first time. Star Wars is, is, is a really great example of this. But here's the thing. I don't understand why they think they need to use Star Wars as a delivery system for their personal ideological beliefs. It's absolute nonsense. No one's asking for this. No one wants this. And here's the other thing that drives me crazy about these people. All right. Do you think, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to murder her name, I'm sorry, Charmaine Obai Chinoy, I think is her name, mm-hmm. this, this director. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that her, her little comments about making men uncomfortable and looking in the mirror and getting shifty and stuff is something that she would tolerate for herself? Do you think that she would sit there and listen to, like, say, 
some men right, men's rights activists or anything like that and try to listen to them and look at herself in the mirror? No, no. This is all one way. She just wants you to buy her ideology, and what she's going to do in order to try to get you to do that is to kidnap uh, uh, your, one of your favorite things and use that, corrupt it, manipulate it, and slap her own personal mask on it and deliver it back to you. In, in, in hopes that somehow, because it has Star Wars on the, on the cover of it, you'll somehow agree with her and buy it and understand what she's saying and buy it. No, I'm sorry. They've been trying this for a long time now. Kathleen Kennedy has been trying this for a long time now, and it hasn't worked yet. So why and do they think but, it's going to happen now? And yet they still try. And But it, it's that's such a great point. But isn't that it, it just seems also like it's just bad business. I mean, yes. are there enough female consumers in the Star Wars universe to make a, no. a, a Star Wars film aimed at women, made for women, right. not only made for women, Brandon, but specifically not for men. So exactly. much so that the director and the actors themselves are going out there saying, men, we don't like you. We hope that you don't like this movie. Is there a mark? I mean, is that even good business look at what happened to brie larson captain marvel right. she went out Good there example. she was all sour she did we're going to talk about uh cinderella in a minute here too but or, or snow white i mean uh but yeah. she she went out there and talked about how captain marvel isn't for men and i don't want to really hear the complaints of white men about captain marvel well white men are the are the main audience for a movie like right. captain marvel and then what happened it flopped. And let's not even talk about the Marvels. Some people in this right. audience might not even know that that movie came out in the past month, <laughs> which is crazy. No, but another movie that has suffered from this agenda. No, it's absolutely true. I mean, like whenever you go into the, the realm of sci-fi, whenever you go to the realm of superheroes, you know, action, adventure and all that stuff, the primary audience that you're going to attract is male. Because we are naturally wired to want that kind of stuff. Now, that's not to say that women can't enjoy it. Look at you. You absolutely are a nerd right. just like me. You know. But here's the thing. It is primarily a male-dominated fandom. And whenever you sit there and say, hey, men, you're not welcome here. And if you do come here, you need to learn something and look at yourself because you're awful and you need to change. What do you think is going to happen? They're going to step back, and whenever they step back – Whenever they step back, not only do you lose a lot of your audience, you lose their girlfriends as well. You lose their wives. <laughs> They're not going to come point. to the movie either. You know, um, and, and the only people who are going to show up are anyone who will agree with you ideologically. But here's the thing. The, the radical leftism that they're pushing in movies nowadays is really only shared by a small number of people, which is right. why you can like, constantly see – the Marvels fail. Disney is failing left and right, uh, no matter what brand they put out, whether it's Star Wars, whether it's Marvel, whether it's Pixar. They continuously introduce these radical ideas, and people are saying, nope, not me, bye, and they're watching bomb after bomb after bomb, and they have not learned their lesson. And you know what? Fine. Don't learn your lesson, but don't expect us to come to the theater to, to watch your dreck, you know? Right. And then don't scold us as racists or bigots or misogynists or homophobes exactly. when we don't want to see your crap offerings. It's really interesting what you said. I love what you just said, Brandon, because um, I, as you know, I have children. They're older now. My my son is 21. My daughter is 16. My daughter is a huge Marvel, Marvel fan, obsessed mm -hmm. with it. 
she has not right. seen the Marvels. But you know what yeah. I did catch her watching last night? How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. That movie's yep. 20 years old. You know what other movie she loves? 13 going on 30. You know what she just discovered? South Park. You know what she was watching on TV recently? <laughs> Friends. My kids yeah. are wa- I watched my son was watching Boys in the Hood the other night. Like my kids good. are watching older things because those are entertaining. Right. They're not getting a lot from their modern offerings. They're going backwards into when I was a kid, I hated watching older movies with my mom. Yeah. I was like, this is so lame. It doesn't look modern. They're desperately searching for older entertainment yes. because they're not entertained. Right. And I and I kind of covered this not too long ago when I noticed Stranger Things was introducing music and stuff to these kids who would go and like, like fall in love with 80s music. Right. They love 80s music. There's a reason for this. And I, and I find myself often doing the exact same thing. I'll go back and I'll watch, you know, you brought up Boys in the Hood. I was watching that just the other night for the first time mm. because I couldn't find anything else to watch. And I, I know this movie was like, you know, a breakout success and I wanted to know about it. So I watched it and it was pretty good. And you know why it was good? It's this, it was good for the same reason a lot of old movies are good. It's because it, absolutely, it, it focused on telling a story with interesting characters that you get invested in, right? They don't want you in the modern time to get invested in characters and story. That's not the main point. They want to, you to get invested in a message. They put the message first before everything else. And if they do that and not let the message come through naturally through good storytelling and characters, it becomes propaganda. And no one wants to watch propaganda. No one. And that's what they're selling. Disney is selling it nowadays in droves. They can't stop themselves. It is nonstop propaganda. Who cares about it? Well, yeah, I don't I don't want to spend a hundred dollars for my whole family to go to the movies for a night and watch propaganda. I'm not gonna do exactly. that. Right. Exactly. And so we don't. And so I just I find it astounding that these women you know what? I want can I hold you over the break, Brandon? Absolutely. All right, because I want to keep talking about this. We're going to hold Brandon over the break. We're going to talk about this. We're going to come back, talk about Disney's profits and what happened with Snow White as well and what that means for the entertainment future. This is award season after all, everybody. I'm Kira Davis. I'm filling in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz today. Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. I'm your guest host today, Kira Davis, author of Drawing Lines, Why Conservatives Must Begin to Battle Fiercely in the Arena of Ideas. I'm here with senior contributor to Red State, Brandon Morse. We're talking Star Wars, particularly the new female director of the next three female-centric films coming out. (laughs) I don't know. I can't even believe they're still doing this, but... Daisy Ridley needs some money, so she signed on for another three films saying that she wants to make men uncomfortable. It seems like bad business. Brandon, Disney has lost $512 million on their streaming service in the last year, $11 billion since they began. That seems incredible with all of the property that Disney owns, all of the intel, all the IP, all the intellectual property that Disney owns. How can they be losing so much money? It's a, it's a perfect storm of bad business decisions. Um, Bob Iger is not a good CEO. He's not a good businessman. Um, not only, you know, we've been talking about the political 
uh, infection that Disney has gone through, and that's definitely part of it. It's 100% part of it. Um, but also, there's a bad business kind of uh, bad bad use of money. They have been infusing their movies with millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. I mean, they could they could feed an entire small country for like five years with some of the money they put into a single movie. Um, and then not only that, uh, they have to go through expensive reshoots and rewrites all the time. Um, and it starts with bad writing. Bad writers create bad movies, and then they whenever they test audiences don't naturally like it, they go back in and say, okay, well, we need to reshoot and rewrite and do all mm. this other stuff, which costs them even more money. So by the time – and the Marvels is a really good example of this. From what I understand, the Marvels originally was a stupid woke film uh, that no one liked. The test audiences hated it. So they had to go back and re-edit, reshoot, uh, uh, rewrite a whole bunch of scenes, and by the time that they were done, they had a monstrosity of a film that cost a ton of money that had no hope of making that money back. And this is, a, this is something that they have been repeating over and over and over again. Meanwhile, uh, you look at films like Godzilla Minus One. Uh, it was a film out of Japan. It cost, I think, a couple million dollars. You know, it, it, millions that, that are reasonable for a film. Uh, and it blew away the box up. It had no politics. It had no real messaging in it. It just had and a foreign characters. film. Yeah, and then it was a foreign film to boot, which is actually pretty rare for a foreign film to be that successful in America. So, you know, it just goes to show you that Disney is being insanely irresponsible. Not only are they teaching audiences to stay away from their movies by making them hyper-political all the time, but whenever they do make these movies, they're spending god-awful amounts of money to do it and, and, and to a, getting to a point where they can't possibly make that money back. So I don't know what Bob Iger is thinking, what he's doing, if he's lost control of this company or not. He, he likes to say that he's getting things back in order. But clearly, with this decision by Kathleen Kennedy, he doesn't. Um, right now, I don't know if you heard, Disney is going through a little bit of a battle on its board with Nelson Peltz mm -hmm. and Trian Management. And uh, for those of you who don't know who Trian Management is, they come into failing companies and revitalize them. Bob Iger is currently fighting against Nelson Peltz and Trian Management, trying to keep it out of their hands. And you have to wonder why. Why, why are they continuously resisting this if, they, if Trian Management has a track record of turning companies around? Why are they resisting it? It's because I think Bob Iger wants to continue down this path. I think he's trying to keep Disney in being a propaganda factory, a message factory. Right. And that's just not going to be profitable. So who knows how long nope. it'll take Disney to completely collapse. Could take years. We might both be dead by that time. They got a lot of capital, but most likely they're probably just going to end up merging or being bought out. Uh, I, I do see a crash coming for the entertainment industry in a good way, I feel. I feel yeah. we are in for a, a cultural crash because... People aren't buying what Hollywood is selling anymore, and in, in regardless of their politics, it's just it's not good. You point as you pointed out, you're hiring writers based on their politics rather than their talent. It's showing yep. up in the product, and then that's being passed on to the audience, and and the audience is rejecting it. I'm going to say this, Brandon, as a woman, mm -hmm. I'm getting really tired of female leads. I can't believe I'm saying it because I'm an actress myself. You know, I'm in the business. I'm a producer here in Southern California. Every, that's not impressive, by the way. It sounds impressive, but it's not. Everyone's in the biz in some way here uh, independently. So I would count myself as someone who appreciates 
female leads. But every time I turn on the TV or see a new poster for a new movie, it's a female lead. And especially when I'm watching yeah. an action or a superhero movie, I want to see a man rescuing people. Like I want to see right. a dude doing guy stuff. I'm not interested so, in these female heavy stories. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, I think that, you know how they say there's superhero fatigue? I think there's female protagonist fatigue at this point in time. You know, we're tired of the strong female protagonist. Now, let me let me say this, though. I will say this. While I, I would love to see men return to the position of strong leader in, in these movies, um, a lot of the problem with this strong female protagonist fatigue comes from the fact that they are so badly written. Um, mm-hmm. There is a movie or a show, excuse me, a show that came out on Netflix recently that surprised me with how much I liked it. And it was called Blue Eye Samurai. All right. It is a it is an animated show meant for adults. It's not for kids at all. So don't don't put your kids in front of it. But it has a strong female lead, a badass female lead. And it has, for all intents and purposes, I should hate this show, but it's so well-written. The characters are so well-written. The journeys are written in. It's not, she's not just a badass because she is one, you know, because she's a female and she deserves to be one. No, she had to earn it, you know. Um, she has a driving motivational force that is believable. I love her struggle, her journey, everything about it. And I found myself wanting more. I can't wait for the second season. So it's not necessarily that strong female protagonists are a bad thing. It's not, it's not that at all. It's that many people today don't know how to write them, and it's because they are writing them in such a way. All right, Brandon. You're absolutely right. Well, thank you so much. It's Brandon Morse. You can find him on Real Brandon Morse on Twitter and read his stuff on Red State. We'll be right back right here on Tony Katz Today. Welcome back to Tony Katz today. I am your guest host, Kira Davis, author of Drawing Lines, Why Conservatism Must Begin to Battle Fiercely in the Arena of Ideas, available wherever you find your books. Follow me on Twitter at Real Kira Davis. And make sure you subscribe to my podcast, Just Listen to Yourself. And that's available wherever you find your your podcasts. We were talking with senior contributor at Red State, Brandon Morris, last segment about Disney and the complete implosion over there, and yet they still seem to be holding steady onto this. We're not making things for men. And one interesting thing I wanted to point out, I don't know if it's interesting to you, but it's interesting to me, is that here in California, I've talked about this earlier on in the week, our new slate of 2024 laws have come into effect. One of those laws is that retailers must now have a gender neutral toy section. As you can imagine, that's a result of the LGBTQ lobby here in the state. And I guess it's because we're not supposed to, how do I put this? I guess we're not supposed to be encouraging gender norms, right? We're not supposed to be, 
suggesting that there's a difference between boys and girls and it's not we get told this all the time you know men can menstruate and and women have prostates or what you know whatever they're always trying to tell us they're always trying to tell us that, that gender is interchangeable and it's just how you feel and and it's not right to impose gender norms on people men can wear dresses women can wear men's clothes yada 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 and then in the very next breath we'll get somebody like this director of the new star wars saying we're not making movies for men we don't want men to see our movies. These women, these movies are for women. These are from a women's point of view. We're telling women's stories. We're telling people about how women feel. Well, how is that any different than how men feel or what they're going through? Since gender is just a societal construct, which is it? Are you allowed to trash men for being men because men are men? Or do we not divide gender at all and just let people have their own problems and describe them as their own problems, not related to their gender? Which way do you want it? Guys, start making these people answer these questions. If Jon Stewart had any guts, he would have done that. Now, to be fair, he's getting paid to do a job, and the job is not to make the guests uncomfortable, even though the guests are saying it's their job to make the audience uncomfortable. The people they're asking to give them money, it's their job to make them uncomfortable. This is where we're at, and this is why. This is the other thing that's happening with entertainment. I'm going to explain this. It's a simple concept. Maybe you've already heard it, but I don't think enough people understand why this is happening currently in entertainment. I'm going to tell you this. The reason why you're seeing so many remakes and reboots and, for instance, The Color Purple's out. You going to see that at the movie theater? I doubt it. <laughs> I didn't think so. I'm not going to see it. Not because I don't love the story of The Color Purple, one of the best books ever written. It's a, the great American novel, in my opinion. But this is a movie musical based on a Broadway musical that is based on a movie that is based on a book. We're now into iteration number five of this. That Why? Why does Hollywood, why are they remaking all these things? They're remaking Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is 20 years old. It's not that old. It's not old enough to get a complete reboot, and yet it's getting one. They, everything that you love, Star Trek, Star, everything's been rebooted. Why? Some people will say it's it's for financial security. You put a property up that people already have an attachment to. So already you've got a built-in audience. And as Brandon explained to us, these studios are spending tons and tons of money. Production budgets have gone up. They need guaranteed income back. How do you do that? You trade on a name that people already recognize. But you also have this agenda of the message. That is a stated agenda, as Brandon just told us, Bob Iger, the president and CEO of Disney, that is his agenda. That's Kathleen Kennedy's agenda. We've been told it. They, they've, we've all seen the reports by now where, where Disney executives have said, our agenda is to make people think differently about the American family, about American societal norms. That is really what they're doing. So. Using older properties isn't really, in my opinion, isn't really about that financial guarantee. It's the message guarantee. 
Because what they want is for you to be sitting in that chair so they can deliver the message. And and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and Star Trek and all of the old things that you love, they aren't about modern weird values like non-binary and trans and white privilege. And I've got a white privilege story here I'm going to read to you in a minute. But it they people don't want to sit down and watch stories about that. And that's not what the old stories are about. So what you do is you recycle these property, you slap the same names on it, you get those people on in the seats, but then you change everything. You just make the story you wanted to make. Suddenly it, it has nothing to do with the old property except holding its name. One of my favorite shows in the world is Sex in the City, the 90s and early 2000s show starring Sarah Jessica Parker and famously Kim Cattrall. Love that show. I still watch it to this day in reruns. It got a reboot on HBO Max, whatever we're calling it. It's called And Just Like That. And I went to try to watch it because I loved these characters. I loved this show. And it wasn't anything like the old show. They made everybody different. They didn't even try to pretend they were the same people. They have the same names and that's it. But your beloved characters that were very active heterosexual women suddenly you know one of them's transgender someone's gay it's just those are just a few of the things but these nothing about the show and the characters are the same that is a hollywood tactic so if you're wondering why you're getting all of these reboots it's not because of the financial security it's because hollywood wants to get you in the chair so you'll listen to the message and they think if you hear the message coming from characters that you're familiar with, that you're all of a sudden going to believe it, that you're all of a sudden going to be like, oh, wow, that's fantastic. That's not how it works. That's not how any of it works. So I don't know. How do we change that? Well, you can start by just not going to see these reboot things. <laughs> don't I don't get sucked in by them anymore. I would prefer when a series ends, I would prefer to just leave it there. The characters are gone. The journey I took with them is over. And I want to imagine them in their tidy endings. That's how I want to do it as a consumer. Talking about white privilege and entertainment, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Jada Pinkett Smith. She's Will Smith's wife. She's the whole impetus for the now infamous slap. She has a show uh, called Red Table Talk, which is pretty popular. And uh, Chelsea Handler the comedian Chelsea Handler went on there to talk about white privilege. They had quite an interesting conversation about white privilege that made me think about the problem with the concept and the discussion around white privilege and how even white women engaging in the white privilege discussion makes them white privilege. I'll explain. Handler says she she's talking to Jada Smith. She says she told herself, you're the beneficiary of white privilege to such, such an extent that you are the American white dream. Chelsea Handler's a famous comedian. She has been for many years. Smith wanted to know about the moment when Handler's heart cracked open and there was a level of compassion that made you go, Chelsea, we have to understand how we're participating in this white privilege idea. Handler said it all started with her black boyfriend in high school with whose child she became pregnant with at 16. Smith's sister accused Handler of having a white savior thing. 
she interviewed the boyfriend for her documentary on white privilege that she made recently. And her then boyfriend, who went on to become a drug dealer, said she had the complexion for the connection. And that's why she skated out of trouble. Okay, let's take that little tidbit right there. This is the problem I have this have with this. As a black woman, I'm I'm saying this to you as as a black woman who I definitely have have had incidents in my life where I feel like race has played a part in holding me back from something or in the judgments people make about me and or my family. Definitely, without a doubt, happens to every happens to all of us. <laughs> that being said, what she's saying here, I think she. She's proving that she's the problem and will continue to be the problem and can't be anything other than the problem, according to CRT. I wrote, uh, I wrote about this in my book, Drawing Lines. I also did, I think, a two-parter episode on the book, White Privilege. I read the book, so you don't have to. You can go look it up. My podcast is Just Listen to Yourself. I read the book, and I break down all of the points in it, the good and the bad. One of the things I say in that podcast is that the problem with this ideology is there's no escape from it. There's no, if you apologize as a white person, you're wrong because you're just trying to get in on this white savior game. If you don't apologize, you're wrong. If you say too much, you're talking too much. If you don't say anything, you're not talking enough. There is literally no way to get out from under this mantle of white privilege. I think that's purposeful, but I think Chelsea's statement here points out why it's a problem. So she's saying that, first of all, I had a black boyfriend. That's the number one thing that comes out of any racist mouth. <laughs> I'm not racist. My best friends are racist, right? But you know what I mean? She makes fun of people who say things like that. And yet she's here saying this. Her own sister said, even at 16 years old, Chelsea seemed like she had a white savior thing going on. At 16, Chelsea Handler's 50 something now. Same, and she's still doing this. There's some kind of thing in her brain that's making, I'm getting attention for this. I'm going to keep doing it. She's still doing the white, she's still inserting herself, making herself the center of this. She said, her boyfriend said, you have the complexion for the connection. And that's why she always skated out of trouble. I have no idea what kind of stuff they were doing together. It sounds like she was in trouble and maybe she did skate out of trouble, but I know this, I'm looking at their lives and I know the boyfriend went on to become a drug dealer and she went on to become a famous rich comedian. And that's not only due to their race. I'm not sure how much of it is due to the race at all. Clearly they both made different decisions. Doesn't he deserve to be held accountable for his decisions? Also, why doesn't Chelsea get to take credit for the work she's done? If she doesn't want to, that's fine. But I think that's a problem. It's a problem for women in general, but she doesn't, get to take credit them for the hard work that she did in her career? Why doesn't she just stop doing stuff then? If she doesn't think that she made decisions to get where she is and that she worked hard to get where she is and she thinks it's an accident that she is where she is, why doesn't she just go away and give it all up, get out of the spotlight, make room for someone else? Of course she won't. Because the point isn't that she cares about Black people and wants to elevate Black people. The point here is she's elevating herself. That's always the point of the white privilege discussion. It's elevating the person who keeps talking about it. 
either the black person who's talking about how much they hate it or the white person who's talking about how much they have it. It's narcissism. We got to take a break. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we'll wrap it up. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this white privilege situation. And then we will wrap it up last week of January, first year of 2024, the last year of our lives, according to anyone who's paying attention to the presidential election. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. I'm Kira Davis filling in for Tony Katz, and you're listening to Tony Katz today. Welcome back to Tony Katz Today, wrapping it up with your guest host, Kira Davis. I've had the privilege of sitting in for a couple of days this week, and it's been great. I'm sure I'll be back in the future. Love, Tony. He's one of uh, my closest friends in this business, and I know you guys are anxious to get him back on the mic. But thanks for hanging out with me today. I've had a great time. If you want to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter at Real Kira Davis. Go sign up for my Substack, just kiradavis.substack.com, and definitely go subscribe to my podcast, just listen to yourself and that's available wherever you find your podcasts on most platforms buy my book drawing lines why conservatives must begin to battle fiercely in the arena of ideas it has some great endorsements on there including one from dan bongino who is splashed right across the front page of course but uh, he calls it a no holds barred battle plan for conservatives so if you're interested in that kind of stuff, go out and get that. But we've been talking about white privilege as we wrap things up today. I was talking about Chelsea Handler giving this interview about how she's got so much white privilege and how I feel, I feel as a black woman that even the discussion around white privilege is just another example of what the left is telling us white privilege is, which is a bunch of white people trying to make themselves feel better. They're, no one's giving up anything. No one's doing anything. They're just talking. Here's, I want to I read this thought from Chelsea. She says, what would I be willing to give up in the name of equality? If you were to say to me, hey, give your house and everything is going to be fair and equal, sure, of course I would. But would individuals who have nothing be okay with giving? And uh, so she says that, I guess she's saying that's her justification for not giving up all of her privilege, which which is her money, her position, her power, her job. I guess that's her justification. Well, I could give it up, but what does it matter? But she wants you to give up stuff, right? She wants you to give up more money at your job because the employer has to pay out more money for these courses or these officers that now have to be these inclusion officers that they have to hire or training, whatever they have to do, right? They're asking you to give up the, the quality of service in your business that you own because you've got to meet these diversity requirements instead of just hiring people based on their qualifications. They want you to give up your tax dollars to fund these programs in schools and in the private sector. She wants you to give up your safety by defunding the police. She lives behind gates and can hire private security, which I'm sure those people have guns, right? She wants you to give up everything for this concept, but her giving up, well, it's not going to matter if I do, if I do it, that these celebrities, they do the same thing when they go to Davos every year and for the climate change conference. And they, each individual celebrity takes their own individual 30 foot, hundred foot yacht. I don't know how big yachts are. <laughs> they take their big, huge boats 
They fly their big, huge private jets that have four or five passengers on them. And then they go and lecture the rest of us about what we should be giving up to save the planet. We can't take any of these people seriously. The only thing to do these days is point and laugh. I'm Kira Davis. It's been a pleasure this week. See you next time.